realms and Age of Sigmar story phase. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path to chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the digestional track of a gargant this episode are... Hi, my name is Paul. And do you know what British parents say to their kids when they finish their plates really well? Know what? Oh, that kid's a kraken eater. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Josh. And be ready to stomp through the lore in a gargantuan way and share all the make it cool stories. Uh, and I'm Aaron. And if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of gargants. And I can't get down because then they'll eat me. Uh, in this episode, we'll cover the lore of the Sons of Behemoth Battle Tome. Get ready to hear a whole lot of tall tales, destructive tendencies, and hashtag crushing it. And then, if we have time after all that, we'll talk about those gargants. Boom. Oh, yeah. How are you tonight, big guys? Great. Uh, even better than great. Oh, my gosh. And I am the Grand. greatest. <laughs> um, and you guys have to do what I say because, as gargants uh, know, that it's bigger is better. And whoever's <laughs> the biggest is in charge. Um, gentlemen, we're back so quickly. It feels like we just recorded the other day with our Lumineth episode, but we are back uh, on the wagon, I guess. Boys are back in town. Boys are back in town. That too. You owe me a dollar. Um, And uh, (laughs) we're going to lose a lot of money. Covering yet another metal tome, our favorite thing to cover. Well, I don't know if that's true. I shouldn't speak for everyone. Um, But before we get into it, before we, we dive uh, into that battle tome, I'd love to hear what you guys have been up to in like the two weeks since the last time we recorded. So I will start with Paul. What, what, what's what been keeping you busy? I know what's been keeping you busy, but I don't hear you talk about it. So um, I did do a bunch of grot bag scuttlers. Uh, I got some conversions finished and stuff. That's what you're thinking, right? Thinking about uh, no, it, oh. much, much bigger, much oh. larger. Ah, oh yeah, right. That mega gargant. Um, yes. I, uh, I got the battle tome and read through and I got to the point where there was somebody called the Spider King and was like, oh my goodness, best thing ever. And immediately kit bashed it in the middle of painting it. Uh, yeah, is awesome. So awesome. I've been working on literally a piece of lore and it's the fantasticest thing ever. <laughs> the most fantastic. Um, we actually had a lot of co- questions about conversions and ideas and things. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll talk more about uh, what, what you've been creating when we get to that section so that we have something to talk about there because Lord knows I don't convert anything. Um, yeah, but uh, I can't, to you, but that's okay. Yeah, can't wait to find out more. Uh, Josh, <laughs> what have you been working on? Uh, I've been working on, um, you know, the end of season two of the Dogs of Warcry. We had a terrain piece uh, for our circle paint challenge, and uh, mine ended up winning uh, narrowly. So I've been working on devising a scenario for Paven, Eric, and I to play our game eventually. And as part of that, I had built some raised sections to go on top of the pillars to form a two-tiered playing surface. So I'm currently working on getting that painted up so it'll be ready to go for pictures. It's utterly uninteresting what I've been working on, which is I think I've been assembling the Slaves to Darkness Endless spells, which is kind of a nightmare. They're they're very cool, but there's a lot of like flame parts and uh, I can't help but have to like go and try to get after like every single one of those mold lines, which is, Mm -hmm. like I said, just just a terrible time. Um, I thought the nightmares were in the Flesh Eater Quartz Endless spell. Yeah, wrong. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Nighthawk, perhaps? (laughs) Well, he's talking about the horses from the ground, which I will get to as well. Um, But then I have also clipped out, actually, Paul revealed this to me. I also uh, cracked my box open of the old Warhammer Fantasy boxed up 
uh, what are they called now? The Man Crusher Gargans, but before they were just Gargans. Um, I had an oh, old, yeah. box, old box of those guys um, with like the old spruce. Or not, same spruce, but uh, the old like plastic. And I, I finally t- felt like what better time than now to uh, open those guys up. And yeah. if I'm not mistaken, I think there's an extra sprue in there. So what would have been just a singular uh, Man Crusher? I think I might have two now. Um, awesome. and so the the, the mind uh, reels at the possibility of w- what my options are, which is to say, build them exactly the way the instructions <laughs> tell me how to do it. Unfortunately, there's so many di- there's so many options in there that I can make one a chaos gargant yep. uh, and one uh, some other one. I don't know. We'll there see. Gorka Morka so, has blessed you indeed. Yeah, yeah right. Because there's t- two. It's kind of like a twin thing. Also, mm-hmm. harkening back to the Lumineth episode. Yeah. Which one is Stompy and Kiki, and which one is Kiki and Stompy? Is my question. Mm-hmm. Right. Good point. <laughs> Well, hey, we're talking about Gargans. I feel like that's a great opportunity to jump into our story phase. Paul, would you be so kind to take us there? In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and the environments of the Nine Realms. Oh, you do it so well. Gosh darn it. Um, so we're talking about the sons of... I'm psyching myself out. I can't... I don't know how to say the name. I spent a long time today trying to practice it. Sons of Bahamut. Behemoth. Behemoth. How, how would you guys pronounce it? Let's go around the horn. Behemoth. <laughs> Behemoth. Okay. Oh. <laughs> that sounds like what you tell a dog. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> I, I, I think you're right, Aaron. I, I'm going to go with Behemoth. Behemoth. All right. Well, yeah. well, all are acceptable, I think. I listened to a couple, <laughs> excuse me, Warhammer uh, YouTube videos, and actually they changed how they pronounced it a couple times, too. So I am in good company. Oh, yeah. um, because, you know, Phil Kelly pronounces it one way. But then Nick pronounces it a different way because he's from the south. And then yep. he pronounces it a different way because he's from the north. And you're like, I can't tell if that's the accent or if you're trying to stress a different syllable or you just right. never talk to each other. But are you all guys, those things are possible. Or are you <laughs> even talking about the same thing anymore? Um, no, right? But where should we start? Let's start with my favorite segment because it really puts everybody on the spot, um, which is to say I want to get a one-sentence summary. For those folks who don't know what these sons are uh give me a one sentence summary your best estimation as to what uh these these folks are and uh do it do it in one sentence don't do it in two sentences don't do it in zero sentences do it in one sentence uh paul let's start with you all right these guys are the titan spawn children who are gods of the battlefield who who could care less about the emotions lives of anything that's anywhere remotely smaller than them oh man so ominous uh josh can you top that i would say they are giants on an even bigger scale who enjoy a nice romp throughout the realms at the expense of civilization (laughs) i like the way you said romp throughout the realms that was great (laughs) i appreciate it it's such like a fairy tale aspect to it which they kind of do they have some great time yeah Yeah. Uh, normally we'd have a third person I'd make them do it and then I would abstain but let's I'm putting you on the spot Aaron give me your best one sentence description they're they're giants in the classical sense making their way (laughs) through the mortal realms uh, dash semicolon yeah semicolon uh, (laughs) ellipses Uh, the mortal realms have to survive them and they have to survive the mortal realms um Truth. That's that's it. That's all I got. Um, so that was as that, good as my one sentence description of the Lumineth. So I applaud sure. you. Uh, 
And that sums it up. End of end of episode. What else is there to we're, know? We're done. There's nothing else. Yeah, we got we got it all there. Um, no, no, no. There's a rich storied uh, history that that ought to be revealed here. So I would actually uh, argue there is a rich storied her story that is yet to be revealed here. Hmm, get it? For like for, for Lady Gargans? That's correct because the 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 matriarch female Gargans the matrians are matriarchs are actually the storytellers in this battle film. Oh, true. Yeah, I yeah. That. I thought that was fascinating. That was good. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I thought you were just being difficult, but you actually had a point. You actually had a, a salient <laughs> I, point. I know. Every once in a while, I actually have a serious point. It just throws everything up in the middle of nowhere. Uh, but let's let's take a look at the his or her story, um, uh, and and start at the beginning because uh, it's a very good place to start uh, in the age of myth um, because these these uh, gargants um, har- harken back that far they've been around um, for time Im- immemorial um, what did they look like back then what was the story where do they come from um, does anyone want to take me take me there so so Yimnog was a world titan, so essentially like a god beast. Um, and um, at some point during the Age of Myth, uh, he was smote by Sigmar. And, um, but before that happened, he gave birth, and apparently the Gargants give birth by barfing him out. So he had three children, um, and they, they had to mix a, an interesting concoction of uh, alcohol in his stomach to make him throw up. And Behemoth and his two brothers were escaping, and then his two brothers were fighting over some alcohol and got swallowed back in. So Behemoth was the only son who escaped his father, and he eventually gave rise to the thousands of gargants throughout the world by barfing him up after consuming lots of different uh, terrain and people and things around him, and he would spew forth thousands of or generation of gargants, as they usually put it. So, so that's how they come into being. It's interesting that way. But, yeah, if it was good enough for his dad, it's good enough for him. Right. His dad did it, did it that way. He does it that way. His children will hopefully do it that way. And so, yeah, it's tradition um, passed down. Uh, so now we've got, oh my gosh, I have to say it. Now we've got Bayamont. Um, that sounded good, right? That sounded right. That sounded great. Yeah. Uh, also, also a god beast sort of unto himself. So, like his his dad was like one of those zodiac zodiac zodiacal zodiacal man zodiacal uh, god beast. And I don't know that Bayamot fits that. I don't think he's at that no. like tier. Um, he's maybe just a tier below. Yamnog, I would describe as like the very old like gods, as in the literal sense of realm walkers not because necessarily like they could go through the realm gates but they were so large that i could see them just like stepping from one realm to another like this this yamnog was just massive just absolutely huge um he could like split the sky with his his hammer yeah a, it, club that is yeah there's a, a very creation based um story uh where they're talking about this and with Bayamot. Um, he's even like he himself is massive, right? Like basically the size of a continent, but the size of a continent, if we're going to take Phil Kelly's word of it, right? So all the maps that we see of a continent or of a realm are like one thirtieth or one twenty fifth of that realm. And a continent is like one tenth of that. So Bayamot is unbelievably massive, right? But I imagine that Yumnog would be closer to like a fifth, as tall as a fifth of the realm or something just insane like that. Um, 
so the zodiacal god beast. I I thought Dracothian was one of the zodiacal god beasts. If I'm I feel not like he is too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think for Azir. Mm-hmm. So we're talking like people that have a hand in shaping just everything, right? Like Dracothian was such a massive being that he caught Sigmar and brought him back from death and like, you know, brought him to this whole realm. So we're not talking some, you know, techless level God, some Tyrion level God where, oh, they're about, you know, maybe twice as big as a normal soldier. We're talking just absolutely mind-blowingly massive. Consider my mind blown. Um, but we had mentioned that uh, Yimnog did end up uh, seeing the, receiving the business end of uh, Sigmar's hammer, right? So like, this is around the time when Sigmar was, was going about uh, fighting monsters, beating up bad guys. And I think uh, Yimnog was also one of the, uh, the conquered um, and defeated uh, entities uh, that Sigmar basically cleared out. But like we said, it wasn't before he was able to birth his his children. And so it's almost like he was just sort of replaced a little bit by his son, um, Bayamot, um, who, if I remember correctly, ended up being sort of a uh, a servant, not servant, but like a, a subservient. Yeah, sidekick to a, another god who likes bashing stuff up, um, Gorka Morka. What was, what was their relationship like? Um. I, I think like Gorkamorka saw him as a rival and Bayama was just like, dude, I'm just doing my thing, right? Like, I'm just chilling, having an awesome time. And Gorkamorka's like, dude, you're not working hard enough. Look at all this work I'm putting into. I'm clearing out Gur of all these massive titans and everything. You're just like sleeping for months at a time. Um, and so Gorkamorka started giving Bayama these tasks um, where it's almost as if he was trying to kill him, but he wasn't really trying to kill him. He's just trying to make him realize that Gorkamorka was better than he was, right? Yeah, right. Because because the chaos guys were sort of whispering in Gorkamorka's ear, saying, "Hey, like you're you you've tied yourself to Sigmar's like pantheon like plan. Like you're just sort of a lapdog to the 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 God King. Um, well, look how fr- look how fr- like footloose and fancy free uh, Bayamot is." Um, Footloose, I like it. Yeah, I, that yeah. was intentional. Um, <laughs> and so, because of that, there's a certain level of jealousy. Um, there's a certain level of uh, uh, Herculean tasks, a little yep. bit, right? Like, if we're going to yep. start talking about myths and things, and I know Paul had, 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 uh, is going to allude to that or, or expand on that. Um, but it, look, I look at this impressive thing that I can do. You you can't possibly match my my power. And then, of course. Uh, Bayamot ends up doing some like creative, not even necessarily creative, like he's not intentionally like outwitting Gorkamorka, but through his own ways um, is able to sort of match uh, the efforts of uh, Gorkamorka, which is kind of a fun mythological like homage mm-hmm. a little bit there. Yeah, no, and that's one of the things that I love about this battle tome um, is so the, the whole kind of gist of the the thrust of the story starts with this rivalry between Gorkamorka and Bayamot. Um, and the chaos gods talk to Gorkamorka and they're like, dude, Gorkamorka, Bayamot is totally cooler than you are. And you're just Sigmar's plaything. So this is the whole way that it works, right? And by doing these tasks, as you mentioned, these like Herculean tasks, this is where we get the creation stories of, from the Gargants, right? So I think it's really interesting that Gorka Morka himself had to split into two. So he had to split into Gork and Mork to figure out how to deal with Bayamot, 
right? Yeah. And then it talks uh-huh. about how the bad moon comes and he becomes one again. Yeah. And it was only by splitting into two could he figure out really what to do. Um, but the, these Herculean tasks really um, are just kind of a cool thing. Where So Gorkamorka drinks one of the seas, right? And the sea is so scared of Gorkamorka that it won't raise up until he leaves. And then it floods the city. So Gorkamorka's like, oh, well, I did that cool thing. Hey, Bayamot, you, you do that cool thing now, too. Right? And so Bayamot's like, oh, okay, whatever. And he's just walking through the fjords, as you do. Um, and he trips and falls and just, like, absolutely drowns the city. And so he's like, dude, I did your task, right? But in, in the Gargant lore, they're like, so so that's why the Aideneth live under the sea, because their city was flooded, so they had to figure out how to live under the sea, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But the, the thing to me is, like, Gorkamorka does things intentionally. He doesn't create anything. He's literally just the fall guy for Bayamot to do the same thing, but do it so much cooler and create the rest of the world. Like, that's my favorite part about this beginning of the book. And, and sometimes he's literally a fall guy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But um, that was a great show from way back in the 80s. Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, to, to kind of just press home the, the Herculean thing, we're talking about Yumnog. Um, it's very resonant with the Greek and Roman myths where we had Kronos, uh, um, who had, would eat his children because he was scared that they would be more powerful than him. And eventually they ended up breaking out. Zeus ended up breaking out um, and then founding this race of gods. And so Bayamot is the one who breaks out and then founds this race of Gargans. Um, and then these, these gods, you know, at, at Mount Olympus will go out and do these absolutely incredible tasks. But the tasks that they do explain the world around them, right? Like Hephaestus, makes lightning because somebody must make lightning. It's such a powerful thing. Right. And the chariot rides, rides across the the sky. So that's why the sun goes up and down. And there's a very strong connection and feeling of that same kind of storytelling in this battle tome about the mega gargans. Um, Because it does, it really sets to explain to you why the world is the way it is. Of course he just fell down and they drowned. So obviously they had to live under the sea. Right, like all of these things. Oh, he walked up to a volcano and he took a mountain and he stuffed it in the top and then he stomped on all these these guys with flaming red hair. So that's why they're so short, because he stomped all over them. Like just yep, very right. simplistic, but you know, totally relatable um, myths about how the world was was created. So I love that a lot. Yeah, and let's let's not forget that once Dracothian like threw a meteor at him, and so he swung his club and batted it back at him. Uh, knocked him in the knocked in Dracothian's face, and his glittering scales fell to the mortal realms, and that's where the Seraphine come from. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wondering if you like pointed to Dracothian like Babe Ruth, and then like just like swung the bat, right. and, like boom. He definitely called his shot. Yeah. Um, and one of the other things about this book that's a theme that goes in is that the Gargans and the Mega Gargans literally see themselves as gods of a war. Um, and anything that is smaller than them is literally beneath their notice. It's not that they don't care, right? It's not that they think that they're stupid or whatever. Like, they're just so small. They're good for eating, right? They're just food. They could be the smartest person in the world, but who cares? Because I'm hungry, or I just want to smash things, or you're in my land, right? Yep. Yep. Um, so, right ear yeah. makes right ear. Oh, such a, <laughs> what, probably the best named rule. That we have in Age of Sigmar, right? Yep, yep. So good. 
Um, and kind of the last interesting thing that I really liked about the, the beginning of this age of myth is that because the Gargans have kind of figured out this way of living, there's really no mention of infighting or like civil wars or anything like that. Um, they kind of just are. They, they are this just very, um, I don't know if peaceable is the right way to go about it, but just non-fighters with, with their own people. Yeah, they, they have fights of dominance, I think, you know, wrestling matches and things like that. But yeah, not yeah. wars per se. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because there's a very clear hierarchy. And in this case, I'm spelling it like it's it's hierarchy, <laughs> which is to say the, the, the bigger you are, the more in charge you are. And everyone just sort of acknowledges that and, and recognizes that that's your your pecking order. Um, it, it literally just a size thing. You can just size anybody up and you're going to know who, who, who's in charge um, at, at any given, given moment. It makes things, makes things easier. Um, I was going to say there's a, in the very first page of the, of the lore section, there's this part of a paragraph I thought was in, really interesting. I thought this would be a good place to mention it and get your input, but it says that the Gargants are a force of destruction. So crude, but effective. They can smash a city to rubble, scatter an army to the winds or topple one of the great wonders of the mortal realms. And I was just curious, what wonders of the great mortal realms have been toppled? Do we know? Or maybe this is foreshadowing. Oh, my gosh. But I love all the wonders. Don't topple them, man. Um, no, I don't know of any examples that they would have toppled already. And I don't know yeah. if this is when you when you say wonders of the world or, or great wonders of the mortal realms. It's all capitalized, too. Oh, yeah. So that's I, to the yeah to the point then is that it seems like that's a definitive list of things um whether i don't know who many I mean, or how many maybe there's seven like yeah. in the real world i haven't um, seen this yeah the tour guide i gotta see that. <laughs> <laughs> Me, um self-guided uh so I, <laughs> I i i hope they come i hope they come back to it uh yeah. and let's it, it'll be a shame that uh you know Gordrak and excelsis and there's the spear of malice there and i was wondering eh, what if this not connected you guys, we've been talking about we've been talking about Gordrak taking out Excelsis for like years now, and it, and it hasn't happened. And I'm starting to wonder if I wonder starting to wonder if it's never going to happen. <laughs> so there's actually a story about Gordrak trying to acquire something later on in the yep. book. Oh, yep. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the something different than than what he he achieved at the end of last year, beginning of this year. So it's some different thing. But uh, uh, so he's a collector. Exactly. Um, so one of the other things is that these monuments, right, these wonders of the world could have easily been something that was during the Age of Myth. And the Age of Myth is described as this, like, time of glory for the Gargans because they just had no rivals whatsoever, right? Like, um, they talk about how there's Mason Gargans and Azir and Ash Gargans and the Shadowlands and how... There were so many people that they never grew hungry and they could fight whoever they wanted to and they could find battles to feed on the corpses or to fight in or whatever. And, you know, the the thing is that they don't actually talk about gathering together in larger groups. And one of the really fascinating things about the Gargans is that it talks about them evolving. Um, in, the, in the first little page they talk about how they're not just a static army which is ironic for you know only having two models but how <laughs> literally it is um it is something that is continuing to evolve over time which is something that i don't know that we've seen quite clearly as well as in well in other armies 
they can add right. units, but uh, the actual evolution of their battle line and their heroes themselves is a really fascinating um, departure from the rest of the, the lore. Mm-hmm. Sure. Even their social structure a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just now they're mega gargants, and there weren't before. Yeah, and in fact that that there's there's a reason for why they're sort of appearing. But I, I think to get there, we got to jump through a few other uh, timeline steps. So um, to wrap up the Age of Myth, I think one of the one of the final things that happens at this time is we're, we're talking about these um, like these tasks, these Herculean tasks that uh, Bayamot had to do um, by sort of order of Gorkamorka. One of the last one, well, I guess the last one that he was sort of instructed was, uh, "Hey, look." Uh, I'm gonna. I want. I want to see you go toe to toe, one on one, with Sigmar himself, the dude who took out your your old man. Um, go, uh, go, go, fight that guy. Um, and Bayamot says, "All right." So he, he ends up having to do it. Um, but also, just like his old man, uh, he takes Galmaraz to the face uh, and is knocked unconscious. Falls, uh, you know, prone somewhere, not somewhere in the scabrous sprawl of uh, of Gyran, uh to sleep for. A pretty long time like so he is taken out of commission and so at first gorkamark is like ha that'll teach you but then eventually he's like wait a sec no but we we're kind of friends though and like you were one of my best allies and like best fighters so he's a little bummed that he did that to his buddy um but to no real effect because bayamot kicks it there for for a very long time at least over an age um which is to say the age of chaos which basically is going to start now any other major myth thoughts before we continue on to the Number two, the second age. I, I really liked like the buddy cop feel of the beginning yeah. of that stories. <laughs> you know, like or you know, for a more classic movie, Annie got your gun. Whatever, anything you can do, I can do better. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really fun. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, what wasn't fun was the age of chaos. But yeah well because uh things got a little harder uh for our gargan friends so behemoth's uh, out of commission and um all these all these uh cultures and, and civilizations that the gargants were either uh smashing up and eating up or fighting for or fighting alongside or working with um they are i mean they're 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 vanishing left and right and succumbing to the, the forces of chaos and it ends up being a pretty hard lifestyle for these folks um mm-hmm. The, the the time of plenty is is no longer um and so it really does have an effect uh on the gargants who 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 need a lot of like abundance for them to really like survive and, and thrive yeah. um what what about the age of chaos grabbed you guys uh i think the interesting thing to me was that it wasn't so much that the civilizations were going away it was the armies of chaos that were just so massive that they were so powerful and they didn't operate out of a home base, right? They're just going around destroying everything. And they were so powerful that it didn't matter that they were gargants, right? They couldn't step over the castle walls because there were no castle walls. And because everybody can hear them coming, they would be able to prepare to be able to attack them. And so I feel like this is really where we get the whole idea that um, they can be taken down, right? They, they start to be shaken a little bit in their idea that they are these gods of war. Um, and to the point where some of the Gargans are just like, dude, I'm not going to be able to stand up to this. I'm just going to swear allegiance to these chaos gods because I, I, I can't do this on my own. And so this is where we start to get chaos Gargans from. 
they talked about stomping on everything and that, you know, it was really hard to stomp on the chaos forces because they have so many spiky bits. So a lot of them <laughs> started making shoes so they can stomp on them and not get burnt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do what you got to do. I know, right? Necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> Um, so this is this is uh, the t- the time where gargans have to adapt um, and, and learn to survive, sort of alongside or or maybe with the forces of of chaos. Um, and it does you know sort of change their uh, perspective. Did any um, did any stories from this time um, grab you you folks at all? Did, did they jump out at you? I love the peaks of Naratosis. Um, this is probably one of the most I don't know well fleshed out stories that I've read in one of these little sidebars of the timeline. Um, so the Peaks of Neratosis talks about uh, a land in the Shyish Innerlands where they worship what's called the the um, the Ten, or the Nine Brothers, excuse me. Um, and they're what are called Trapper Tribes of the Fotan Foothills. And it, it's the age-old story of People who live in the country and the elders are like, this is our way of life and this is what we do. And then the youth go off and are like, dude, there's like guns over here and stuff like this is super cool. Um, so basically the Naratosi youth are tempted to go and live in the city by black butter weapons and all this other stuff. And the whole idea that the the nine elders are the nine brothers are actually anything to worship or to revere is kind of lost but then this chaos host comes in and just levels the town and the elders see the foothills ablaze and so they go into the mountains themselves and make pleas and supplications to the mountains to be like please come save us and the sacrifice is the elders themselves but then the nine mountains rise up and they're actually mega gargans and they go and sack the city again and destroy the chaos army. Um, and that's, that's it, right? There's no more mention of them anywhere else. And it's just, it's such a well rounded out story. I, I loved it. Well, you know, it, it, it mentions that they were petrified by Nagash for smashing his skeletal armies. And so that like the last line is hilarious. It says the nine brothers wander off towards the realm center in search of Nagagashir and, and a revenge millennia overdue. So yeah, you really, did they get there? Do they, you know, <laughs> really curious about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah the, the story I liked was the armored gargants where it talks about, uh, uh, again, yeah. it's in, in uh, Shaish and uh, the, the dwarves, some, some, Chaos worshiping Dwarden found a way to funnel power from one of the um, the underworlds, and um, you know to, to use for their nefarious purposes. And so they go around, you know, the the underworld, the people who live in this this deep sea underworld, go around searching for allies, including some gargants, to attack this island, and um, and they get beaten back because the Chaos Warden have gargants of their own wearing heavy armor. And, uh, you know, it's a sad tale because it says, oh, they eventually slurped that underworld dry and used all the power. <laughs> but it was really interesting. It was like, oh, wow, they found ways to use the power of that underrealm just like Nagash does. Yeah, so it was I don't know why, but it always bums me out when like underworlds get like sapped of their power. We read that uh, Thief's Paradise and I'm like, oh, no, man, that sounded nice. I'm totally with you. I I just have this like existential like sadness when it's like you literally lived your whole life for the reward of this afterlife. 
And now, like, you know, some stupid Chaos Warden come and literally just erase you from existence. And it's like, dude, you didn't do anything yeah. to deserve that. It's so sad. Um, yeah. uh, I, I, I also love how this is just a great nod to the Forge World models for the, the Armored Gargant and the Chaos Dwarves and all that. Um, so it was a nice main battle tome nod to them, which is cool. Yeah. Um, there's a, a story that I think uh, pretty clearly exemplified sort of the Gargan's place in the Age of Chaos, which is to say sort of how do I have to adapt to this new um, like environment, I guess, um, and that there's this town called uh, Glow, Glowsheim, and they're constantly being attacked by like cannibals because, I mean, Obviously, that, that makes sense. Um, and a gargant wanders by looking for food and drink. And they're like, hey, they're like, hey look, we'll, we'll pay you a year's harvest or something crazy if you could just help us defend the city. And he's like, all right, yeah, cool. Like, I, I love to fight and I love to like eat stuff. So that makes sense. Um, and so for a time, like he uh, aids the townsfolk, like he protects the town um, from these like chaos cannibals. But one time after some battle, uh, he gets he gets caught up in it. And as the cannibals sort of flee, he goes and chases them down sort of off into the distance um and they the cannibals are gone for a while and he's gone for a while but eventually the cannibals come back and who do they come back with but a ravenous uh gargant um the same one who was protecting them has now been turned on the city and they just basically lay waste to the the to the town um because he was actually promised um a share of all like the flesh of, of the people in that town so it just goes to show that like um sometimes it requires a certain level of job or training um if you're if your whole job uh isn't uh, cutting it uh for you in these trying times you're gonna have to maybe try and learn a new trade um or at least have a different have new and different targets uh for your uh hunger and so um the the town was left as a smoking ruin poor Glowsheim. And it's interesting because it, it made it a point somewhere in the battle tone, whether it was before or after this, that like uh, sometimes it's, it's like illuminating that like the Gargants began to realize that, you know, sometimes it's better to not just eat the townsfolk, but rather work with them because then you get an, an ongoing payment of like yeah. food and, and stuff. But this is the exact opposite. Um, it was very much short term thinking um, as opposed to long term uh, gains. Bummer. Age of chaos. Who needs it? Uh, and if you guys don't want to spend any more time here, we can we can progress mm-hmm. to the All age right. of Sigmar, the titular age of Sigmar. Um, what? Uh, there's, I guess there's big. There's a big s- story beat that happens here, um, which is to say, Bayamot's still been uh, snoozing, but um, eventually, I think it's Skaven um, find out sort of where he is, and they've been tasked to like waking waking him up and maybe bringing him over into the sway of chaos and this is all part of the realm gate wars you know after the the um, stormcast eternals have sort of landed and the, the the war has really begun in earnest um there's this plot to bring behemoth uh and onto the the side of to the side of chaos um but what happens does it work is it successful i didn't read them <laughs> um so this is where we start talking about the Great Green Torque. Um, so the Great Green Torque is this like moon-shaped floating island. Um, the, the interesting thing to me is they, number one, that we have a recap of what's going on in the Realm Gate Wars um, in this battle tome, because this is the first like definitive point in history where we can point to and be like, this is something that happened after the Age of Sigmar history started being told, which I think is kind of cool. 
Um, number two, it specifically points out that basically the Gargans who live on this great green torque, which is where all 12 seasons of um, the realm of life happen, um, that they're basically, they're sky titans, right? They yeah. build these massive cannon, cannons that can hurl boulders. So they definitely point out that what we had in the old world with sky titans is definitely still a thing. And they were on this great green torque that was uh, attacked by Nurgle and by all these pests and everything else, uh, these uh, plagues and everything else. Um, and so the Skaven sent pestilence and engines to bore into um, Bayamot's skull in order to basically just drive him insane. So they have been seeding these plagues to cause him just massive, massive pain. And Archaon wanted to infect him to the point where he would be nonsensical and then use the great green torque as a collar, right? So this massive continent uh, that was floating above would literally just be something that goes around his neck uh, uh, and causes him to break into his ear. And he was also going to grab another god beast to be able to do this. Uh, But of course, Sigmar hears about this and he's like, dude, I ain't having none of that. And so he sends down one storm host to the Great Green Torque and then two storm hosts to the ground. And long story short, um, they are not successful. And they can't do anything to stop Bayamot from just like rising in just pain and torture. And so the, the Celestine Prime um, swings Gomoraz and manages to kill Bayamot. And in his death throes, he vomits up one last um, spawn Generation. or brood of guardians. Yeah. And so with that, Bayamot, the world titan, passes from the world. Right? But then this is where the Gargants start to actually become something else. This is where their evolution actually starts. Because as soon as Bayamot is gone, they start to increase in size. Um, they start to move towards the progression of actually having mega Gargants. Um, and the age of Sigmar um, starts to have this upward progression. And the, what we're told is that basically one of them will become strong enough, is the belief, that they will become the next world titan. Right? That you can't take this out of the realm. So this is a, a really cool uh, turn, is that they've killed the terrible, horrible thing that could threaten the realms but you can't kill it forever because it wasn't actually that specific creature that was the danger. It's this entire race that is the danger. They are such a massive threat that you can't ever eliminate the threat. So that was a really, really fun little uh, twist. Yeah. And it explains why the mega gargants are are showing up now is because they're just getting bigger and bigger yeah yeah one of those standard questions of all right we have a new battle tome shows us a new race why are we just now finding out about them we've been in the age of sigmar for five years and this was a definite this was a different way of addressing that they didn't exist when age of sigmar started right this is a gradual thing that's been happening they're evolving cool Sometimes they were. Sometimes some races were hiding. Sometimes the the races were always there. Or sometimes they uh, evolved like Pokemon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, I choose you, <laughs> a Kraken eater. Um, yeah, and so that that brings us sort of into this this new 
age and along with this um, new like evolution or this growth um, with these gargants, they also find that they have, and I think it even says this unnameable urge to gather together mm-hmm. uh, and form tribes and war bands across the mortal realms. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and ramp and, r- and their rampage threatens to shadow civilization or to shatter civilization entirely wild stuff. The age of chaos, the biggest threat was these roving chaos armies that were just so strong. They couldn't avoid them. Right. In the Age of Sigmar, the threat is that they can't attack the weak anymore. They can't attack these frontier towns because the castles show up and, like, beat the crap out of them. And they're like, dude, like, what happened to my easy pickings? Like, just have these guys shoot down from the sky and, like, this is no fun at all. And actually, like, that's part of why they band together is they're like, well, you know, we could just join chaos now. But if we join chaos, then the storm castle will kill us. So now we can figure something else out. Yeah. yeah, and we can't even eat them because they disappear. They get so frustrated. <laughs> what do I do with this? Um, so there were there's a handful of other stories in the Age of Sigmar. Did you guys have any other tales that uh, that caught you? Oh, do I? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. So uh, this is the Spider King, um, which is the best bit of lore like ever. Period. Thank you, Phil Kelly. Um, so the Spider King um, is actually a Gloom Spike Gits army led by a Mega Gargan. Um, and it talks about the Brugits of Garentia. So if I'm not mistaken, the Brugits are one of the, Ga- the Gabapalooza. Yeah, I think so. One of the specific figures. And apparently there is a tribe of Moon Clan who are known as the Brugits of Garentia. And they brew this just, like, massively intoxicating brew. And Greedy Heck um, drinks it and becomes so drunk that he falls into the crawling pits. So this is actually a place that I, I believe is described in the Boom Spike Gets Battle Tome. This just canyon with just massive tribes of spider fang that live in it. And so he falls down into this crevasse and gets caught on these massive spider webs. And as the spider fangs swarm over him, uh, an arachnorok known as Krakabita crawls atop him to deliver a fatal toxin. He wakes up and is so drunk that he can't be poisoned. <laughs> He's just basically like, I am just so drunk. This is not going to happen. And so he rips three of the legs off of Krakabita and smashes its head against the canyon wall climbs out of the crevasse and then shoves the, the legs into his trophy rack on his back and then makes a crown out of the head and just walks away. But because all the Grots are so impressed, they've just been following him forever. And so now he's leading this Gloom Spike Kids army. He never asked them to do it. And it's just kind of like, eh, I guess I can't get away from you because I can't really go faster than you can go. So they just kind of follow him around now and they call him the Spider King. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome indeed. <laughs> yeah, the story I liked the most was was called To Scale the Flame Spires. 
and this is absolutely hilarious. It's, a, it's about Tempest Eye, and there's this group of brothers. Uh, I think they're, uh, yeah, Ashkin Gatebreakers, known as the Firehood Brothers. And, uh, you know, they were getting close to Tempest Eye, and the Cahadron, you know, were watching them, but they couldn't get too close because they were pretty good at throwing boulders. And, um, you know, that, you know, first, they, you know, they weren't getting near Tempest Eye, so they didn't worry about them. But then their plan became, uh, you know, uh, obvious. Is they, they climbed up an adjacent mountain and waited for some ironclads to come from the Cahadron to shoot them down. And then they grabbed, <laughs> they jumped up. One of them missed and fell to his death. But the others jumped up and grabbed the ironclads and used the balloons to float across the Tempest Eye and smash, I think it said, a third of the, <laughs> of the city. <laughs> I was yeah. like, wow, that was pretty smart. <laughs> so absolutely hilarious. This image in my mind of these gargants, mega gargants, jumping up and grabbing this balloon and, ah, I'm coming to get you. <laughs> well, yeah, just imagine being a Caratron Overlord Admiral sitting on your iron and like I'm firing cannons and all of a sudden, what are they doing? Yeah, it's <laughs> jumping at me. Uh, there's no profit in this. Um, if you guys want to hear a, a Karadran Overlord related story, we could we could definitely talk about the war and the depths. Um, there's a bunch of uh, Kraken Eater, which is a type of Gargan that we're going to talk about in a second, um, that live on the coast, but they're constantly being raided by these deepkin who are trying to steal yep. their G- GD souls. Um, and eventually, Kraken Eaters get wise to what's going on. They band together and they they, they figure out where the deepkin are coming from, and so they they try to make their way out to one of their undersea um, settlements or enclaves, uh, but they can't quite get there. It's it's just a little too deep. It's a little too dark, and they run out of breath eventually. But the real crafty like and they go back to their lair they get an old Karadran sky vessel that they had stolen at some point they take it to the shoreline they tip it upside down they put it over their heads and then they use that to store air and they use it as a submersible to to walk down to the enclave they find it and they proceed to kick it in because that's what gargans do they kick stuff in and i think at one point they start squeezing alapexes to death yep. um, which is kind of morbid <laughs> also kind of cool um, yeah and it's not until like a bunch of like tidecasters uh, scare them away uh, that uh, they're they're finally driven off. Uh, but that ends the raids on this uh, on these kraken eaters. Yeah, yeah, Aaron. I was surprised you didn't talk about the heads of Arbalester, so I'm totally gonna do that. Do it. Uh, yep. Yeah. So definitely, I love that one. The heads of Arbalester are these um, one of the wonders of the realm. So, hey, there we go. There's that same title. Oh, cool. Um, uh huh. Uh, is finally solved as the Necroquake breaks across Arbalester Island. The curse of petrification that created them, the legacy of Archmage Teclis, and the mountain-dwelling elf seers that buried the unfortunate Gargans neck-deep with their spells of entombment. Teclis is uh, throwing out some shade here, right? Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he turns... He turns these whole um, Mega Gargans into stone and then buries them in the ground, which... Let's be honest, that's a pretty cool thing to do. Um, <laughs> but then when the Necroquake happens, turns out they're actually Gargans, right? And all of a sudden, these orcs are like, dude, there's Gargans here. And then they they sit and they unbury them, but <laughs> the heads are just like yelling such terrible oaths and like swearing <laughs> that even the orcs are embarrassed. I love this. 
right? Yeah. And then they're like, oh, sweet. We got this like whole Mega Gargan contingents. Let's go. Let's go and, and like fight wars and stuff. And so like they're doing great and they're having a great time. And then they're like, hey, if it worked with the last ones and then they start carving more stone heads that aren't attached to Gargans, but because they're orcs, they're like, these are Gargans now. So then they make them come to life and become more. They they have more and more Gargans. Uh, so, like, I, I just love the ludicrousness of the story. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a lot of fun. I thought it was a, a totally an Easter Island reference, and mm-hmm. I, I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Yeah. It was, a, was a hoot. So you'd mentioned the, the Necroquake, I guess. So what, what, how does um, this, this time of tribulation, this Necroquake, how does that uh, affect our, our Gargan friends? Um, how, how, how do they take it? Well, whereas in the Age of Chaos, they started to like side with Chaos, right? And in the Age of Sigmar, they started to band together. Um, when the Necroquake happened and all these undead were showing up, they were just like, oh, okay, we'll just stomp them. It's totally fine, right? until they faced um, Lady Olander. And Lady Olander's power is to cause just like dread and fear, right? And so she rocks up with her Night Haunt army and she goes after the big heel of this force um, and turns him into just a million black roses. And the other Mega Gargans see this and they're just like, oh crap what the heck is going on, right? And they start to doubt whether or not they can fight the Night Haunt. And the thing that the Night Haunt are weak to is the belief that you can do it, right? And as more and more of them get taken out by these Night Haunt because they're not actually doing any damage, they literally break, like their minds break. And they cannot see that they can actually beat these these Night Haunt and so Lady Olinder allows three of them to escape, but wipes out the rest of them to a man. And those three go, and it's not even like the stories that they're telling. I love this. It's like the scaredness of their voice made yeah. everybody else scared. And so it just spread like wildfire that we can't fight these geists. Like they're just terrible. They're horrible. You can't stomp them. We found something you can't stomp. This is the worst thing in the world. Right. And then. It so happens that the uh, Mega Gargan, there was another Mega Gargan that was fighting with the Drakfoot clan of um, orcs. And the Drakfoot are, Drakfoot are just like screaming so loudly that they convince themselves that they can beat the Night Haunt. So the Mega Gargan's like, I mean, if you can scream, I can scream. And so he's yep. screaming and starts <laughs> stomping on him. And he's like, hey, this works now. And he like turns to his friends, like, dude, just start screaming at him. It'll be fine. And then they all believe that they can take them out. So then they just decimate them. And then that runs like wildfire. And they're like, oh, all you have to do is believe that you can take them out and they'll be totally fine. And then they do. So now it's just like, eh, you know, they're, they're not that fun because you can't eat them. But it's okay. If we believe that we can take them out, we totally can take them out. So it's all fine now. So you're saying the key to defeating the Night Haunt was inside them all along. That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, very cool. Um, and I think that kind of brings us up to like present day. Did you guys have any other uh, Age of Sigmar thoughts before I turn to some listener questions? Um, I had some. There were some interesting 
parts about Gur, you know, and the, they, they have a nice map in the Battle Tome, which has got all sorts of fun details mm-hmm. on it. And it talks a lot about, you know, it's kind of like the home of the giants, you know, the Gargants and how, how Gur is always fighting itself or, you know, the, its survival of the biggest, the fittest, and how the Gargants all kind of fit into that. Mightier uh, makes mightier. Exactly. But one of the, uh, you know, so you can kind of see like the edges of the continents all have like look like teeth or claws and there's lots of really cool stuff. But one thing I noticed today when I was looking at it is there are these very large kind of uh, looks like little fireball shaped lakes across mm-hmm. one of the continents and they're totally footprints. You know, so I'm wondering if that's like Gorka Morka's footprints all the way across that continent. But they have just so many really neat details on that map that mm-hmm. it you know adds a whole new element to uh, you know to the background for the the Gargants and Gur in general. Oh, I didn't notice the footprints at all, but now I can totally see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I actually did notice one of my favorite things about this battle tome uh, is actually the first paragraph where, or the first page where it starts talking about um, Gur. And it, it's definitely, to me, the best definition that we have of Gur as a realm um, because it talks about how the land masses can actually be greedy and fighting. Um, it talks about glaciers trying to take over rivers and how the, the icebergs are their young. Like it really gives a lot more personification to the realm than I've read before. And I thought yeah. it was a super awesome illustration of like, no, this is what Gur does, right? The trees will pierce the skin of people who sit still for too long or animals, and because they want to kill them. Everything wants to kill everything else. And so I thought that was just, it was a really cool um, description. And it was probably my favorite description that we've had of a realm yet. Yeah, I thought it was really nice touch. You know, as you say, it makes it feel a lot more sentient because we kind of got that feeling with with Hish. And I was like, oh, and this is the second time where we've kind of heard, you know, we've heard a little bit about things always eating each other in Gur, but this is like, oh no, the world, the, the realm itself is sentient to a degree. So it makes me wonder about what are the other realms, how much of them are actually sentient or do things like this. Well, and man, someone was just talking in the Discord today, I forget who it was, but like how um, the earth like seems to have gotten smart in Hish and like is that a certain level of sentience um, in that like the, the mountains are, are self-aware, like that, that seems pretty... Uh, to your point there a little bit but we've got some questions that people burning questions that folks uh, want us to answer and we'd be remiss if we didn't if we didn't tackle some of them so if you guys don't mind i'm gonna i'm gonna rattle some off and you can give me your thoughts uh questions listener questions hey uh friends if you if you want to get a listener question on the show here's the the trick you got to go to the slash discord hang out there all the time and uh sometimes i ask for question submissions for the show like i did for this for this show and tomb king tristan uh answered the call and he asked us is this a self-contained battle tome and how does or doesn't it connect to the larger story did you guys get the impression that it was it was it was tapped into the larger uh, storyline um, in in any way? Is it is it pushing it forward in some in some capacity? What do you guys What do you guys think? I think the idea of a new world titan is definitely pushing the story forward. Um, this was the most um, I don't know destruction centric battle film. I think it it shared some with the Iron Jaws, some with the. Um, the Orc War Clans and some of the Gloom Spike gets, I felt like. Um, but I definitely feel like it's self-contained. 
Um, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the unreliable narrator uh, going on throughout this book. Um, it was a particularly funny moment where Phil Kelly wrote, so this is where the sons of Bayamot believe that this is what happened because Bayamot did this, right? This is why we have these crevasses. It's like Yunmog and Bayamot, right? And then they're like, or the orcs believe that it was actually Gorkamorka. Or the Gloomspite begins that it was actually this huge, massive squig, right? Or they might right. be all wrong. Like, literally, there's just like, oh, we have these three ideas. Or they might be all wrong. Who knows? It's totally fine. Whatever. Right? So there was just a very specific call out of, like, this is an unreliable narrator. We're just having <laughs> fun. Just enjoy the story. Yeah. That was great. Um, I, I do think it was self-contained. I think the the lore section, you know, in particular the background and their oral tradition and, and myths and legend make it a really, you know, kind of build that world of the Gargants and the Mega Gargants. And I think it ties well, really kind of described how the Gargant, Gargant culture changed in each of the ages and got to the point where, you know, where they are now. And now that there, there's so many more wars that they've banded together and they feel the calling to follow these mega Gargants and how they, they, you know, instead of the ale guzzlers just wandering around, sleeping, drinking all day, they become a lot more focused and become more dangerous. And so and then you have these packs of roving, you know, mega Gargants and Gargants, now, sometimes fighting against chaos, fighting against death, fighting against destruction and, you know, order. So, you know, you see them everywhere and they're fighting for different reasons. Some of them have grudges against Sigmar. Others have grudges against Nagash and, and, and likewise. So they kind of build, you know, an ever-expanding, uh, you know, destruction force that can be anywhere at any time. And, and they even talk about how they can be different racial mixes, mixes you know, different colors and, you know, ornaments and trophies because they they come from different places and band together so i thought it was really nice to tie that all together and and how they're affecting all of the different um groups you know throughout the world by the just the growing presence and the growing single-minded destruction that they're causing yeah um i think i think it is self-contained and any distinct effect that they would have on the larger story would just be as as sort of tools like mechanisms by which others would uh, use them to like accomplish some goals I, I don't know that they'll ever be the the priving the primary driving force in a lot of this stuff but i think that's okay like you're, you're always going to need the doers and the the tools through which they do things um and i think i'd maybe mention for like the lumineth it seems like that very much could be an army that's gonna that's gonna shape the world and and have a a, a clear um driving effect on it whereas i think the gargants are will, will be tools that others might use and heck that I, I doubt they care i think they would probably uh, wouldn't mind that one bit um as mm -hmm. we've sort of seen and will continue to see josh you just mentioned sigmar um legatus gray heresy which that's that's ned right um he <laughs> wanted to know uh, how do they feel about sigmar and the way the things are going in the realms um i think we got a kind of a clearer picture on how they feel about things are going in the realms but do they talk much about how they feel about Sigmar, especially being like he's the guy who who indirectly caused the the death of their uh, god beast, their dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know they they do mention um, King Broad, for example, is part of the descendants of the of the Sky Titans that were on the the green, you know, the crescent, where you know they eventually had to move and they devolved to a certain extent, but that King Broad um, is pretending to be the next, you know, world titan, you know, uh, it beats anybody who denies him anticipation. 
but he holds a grudge, you know, and he's currently trying to find ways to get back at Sigmar for, for taking out his father. Rightfully so. He is King Broad. Uh, you killed my father. Prepare to die. Uh, <laughs> another question. Uh, yes. S- severe Elon, I think I'm saying that right. Um, he, he asks, uh, theoretically, if the Sons of Bayamot were to push the narrative forward drastically, how would you see that playing out? Um, do we have any hints? Do you guys have any speculations, any scries that make uh, that you might guess as to how they might be used uh, in, in the future? Do you guys got any quick guesses? Um, I mean, obviously, if we get a World Titan, right, that would massively push the story forward. Uh, that would be realm-shaking um, difference. But also, if we just have one of those descendants of the, the Sky Titans that have that intelligence, if we were able to have an intelligent organization, uh, they could kind of do anything. They, they really do have that narrative thrust, but also just the power to kind of do whatever they want to. It's, it's the old destruction chestnut of if they could just stay together for long enough, yep. they could right. destroy everything. Right. But they just never stayed together long enough. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think, you know, they gave us a little hint where they talk about some of the Gargants working with Gordrak to smash into a storm vault, looking for a relic of Gorkamorkas to, again, go after Sigmar. But, you know, they're stopped just in time. But I think it alludes to other circumstances where the Gargants may be helping factions that could shift the balance of power in, in drastic ways. Uh, and I feel if in the future, if there's ever a wall that needs to come down, um, the Gargants are going to be the ones to to do it. For Gargan sure. Chev, tear down that wall. Yeah, <laughs> that works. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll pause the questions there and, and keep on going. So um, we've covered a lot of bit of history there. Um, we're, we're, we've brought to, been brought to the present day. Um, I feel like we've danced around it a little bit, uh, but do we, is there any, any more to say on uh, how this faction is now organized? We've been talking about how they've been grouping together in war bands and stuff. How do they do that? What does what their hierarchy and, and structure kind of look like? Do you guys have any, have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you know, I thought it was interesting because there's a few places where it talks about tribes, you know, but it also talks about them being mostly solitary. Uh, but we talk about matriarchs, so obviously the gargants are breeding as well. You know, maybe they were all barfed up and created by you know Bemot, but now they're actually breeding and have a civilization, or well, not really a civilization. They have family groups, and uh, I thought it was interesting where it talks about when they gather together. They adopt something like a familiar relationship, even if there's no bloodline linking the gargants in question. So, so you know, so they are breeding; they're growing bigger as they breed. But they also, you know, there's some sort of metaphysical power that when they get together, oh yeah, they, they form this hierarchy, and then it's this huge fist of destruction going throughout the place. Not not a fist, but a foot. Foot, foot. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh man, you really put your foot in your mouth there. What I did? Get out of here. Um, well, since I brought it up. I'll, the kick yeah. stop you for it. Yeah. Um, so since I brought it up, they, they kind of structure their um, their hierarchy a little bit in sort of in terms of feet, because that's really the template from which they design a lot of things, actually. And um, the Mega Gargant, because it's always almost always going to be a Mega Gargant that's in charge, they consider the big heel. And so he's like the singular largest gargan in charge of you know however many gargans below him um and his raw might and force of personality means that the 
man crusher gargan sunder is rule will adopt his favorite culture which is to say like they do sort of uh, gain culture from like where they are at or like maybe who they're who they're sort of surrounded by but in doing so it sort of permeates through their um their group i think they call them stomps right um and so that sort of like so what you're saying josh it sort of binds them together beyond just sort of familial ties but like if they, as they spend more time together they sort of adopt each other's like mannerisms and and become sort of a singular uh culturally uh, in nature it does mention that there's usually no more than a couple of dozen members in a stomp because they're too fractious to have more than that so just yeah sure sure um but however that doesn't necessarily mean that there's only one mega gargan there could be other uh, mega gargans as well that may potentially be smaller than the big heel um and uh there may be times where uh they might you know fight for um they, they could possibly they sort of challenge like the 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 title per se but oftentimes they sort of just fall in line um in a sheer sort of size uh scale um but then as you go further down the hierarchy to further down the foot um there are these the smaller gargants the um, man crushers that we're maybe more used to seeing um they sort of form the form the toes they they toe the line um but they would never dream um of sort of like uh trying to ascend but rather they're just happy to be along for the ride they'll defer um the the best loot and the you know the best food um to their their bigger brethren um but are are happy to contribute and and get what they can from the from the spoils whatever this this stomp is able to procure uh from the from the realms any other any other organizational thoughts that you guys want to add to that I thought might, now might be a fun time to talk about the games they talked about playing when you're talking Please about do. the contests. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because uh, those are some pretty fantastic games that, that it came up with when they're talking about. Um, so yeah. it, they, he called them Gargant Pastimes. Um, contests of climbing, leaping, eating, knocking things down, and drinking heavily are perennial favorites. Um, horse punting is a simple game to determine who can kick a horse the furthest. Totally fine. <laughs> um, board scoffing. points for taking something out, too. Yeah, exactly. Point. Wake belching is practiced only by Gargant mercenaries in civilized lands. They burp as loud as possible into a settlement in the middle of the night and count how many angered sleepers shout in protest. The most vociferous objector is usually eaten to teach them a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so if you're not a fan of reading about bodily functions this battle tome might not be for you because there's a lot of puking and <laughs> farting and like yeah yep, yep. uh man skittles is pretty great oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man yeah yeah tank tipping is pretty awesome uh yeah uh, in the case of war stopper nagbog and the argument of kings lifted above his head and hurled bodily into the sea. Since that day, the rumors that Greywater Fastest has a flying steam tank in its arsenal have proved impossible to dispel. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's Vincent Venturella's uh, lore reason to have a flying steam tank. You're welcome. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. It was yeah, very funny. <laughs> And this generally is a fairly uh, funny, funny book, or oftentimes unserious at the very least. Yeah, this was the most fun battle tome that I've read. Period. Uh, it, it, it doesn't take itself too seriously, um, but I do think it's very, very well written. It's just actually funny as well. 
Yeah, I think the the, the next kind of large group that's outside of the stomps are the mercenaries, and and I thought the the mercenary section was very funny as well about how they describe, you know, some some gargants or a gargant learning from the ogres. You know, like oh oh maybe oh I can see the the benefit of having this extended contract sort of thing, getting a constant supply of food and treasure. And then that, that gargant went on to teach other people or other, other gargants that, uh, you know, there's, there's something to this. They call it the great secret, you know, so <laughs> this concept that you don't eat them right away, that you can, you can keep working with them and, and you get a constant supply of food and drink and treasure. But, uh, but it's, you know, I thought it was absolutely hilarious how they described this progression of learning and then educating other gargants and, and what they consider it. And, and, you know, and then they go on to talk about which mercenaries can, there are and how they work for different factions. Really interesting. Yeah, uh, who would have thought that the the biggest secret of all is getting a job? Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big secret, man. Um, yeah. Don't tell. So, speaking of which, the mercenaries uh, that can you, you can hoard, you can ally into your order, chaos, or death armies are specific individuals, which I thought is kind of fun. They're named characters. We have three what are called tribes. But the three tribes are actually determined by the type of Mega Gargant that is leading the tribe. That's the general. And so the first one that I really, really like is the Kraken Eater. So the Kraken Eater are basically, I mean, to, to, to mess with Tom here, they're basically just these Gargant pirates. So, like, of course, all of these vampires are just another Kraken Eater that has yet to be released in the rumor mill. So he's going to have fun with those. Uh, but the the mega gargants that are the kraken eaters live in the ocean, and they are pirates, or I mean, I guess you could call them corsairs or something like that. Uh, but they spend the vast majority of their time in the ocean. But as opposed to the other mega gargants, they have like a territory. Um, but the territory includes water and land, and they're really like collectors. So they like to take ships. And then, like, find cool stuff and then hang that stuff on their body because they're like, look at how shiny and cool this is. Aren't I awesome? Right? And so they are this, uh, you know, existential threat uh, to all of the sailing that happens in the mortal realms because you never know when they're going to show up. Um, And, I mean, when you can eat a kraken, that's probably a pretty big deal. Um, (laughs) So... Uh, I, I really enjoy them because I, I like the design of the miniature, but just the background seems super fun as well. The miniature literally has a shipwreck on its back, um, which is absolutely fantastic. And then a, a, a jawbone of a whale on its around its neck. Um, and the interesting thing about this battle tome is that you're able to have mercenaries, and the order mercenary is not a Kraken Eater. It's specifically a specific named Kraken Eater called Bundo Whalebiter. Uh, and the fun thing, kind of interesting thing about this is that lore-wise, it is Bundo Whalebiter and he lives on the coast of Tusks. So narratively, it actually is a little bit hard to figure out why you would have somebody from the coast of Tusks on, say, an Axian army or something like that. Um, so as opposed to normally where match play puts a lot of restrictions we actually have kind of an interesting lower narrative restriction on including um 
a specific Kraken Eater into your order army. Um, so I think there's a lot of fun stories to be told there. Uh, but he's really doesn't like um, he doesn't like the Idenf. And uh, it has a little story that's super fun. Uh, but basically, he was able to get an artifact that has ether quartz in it. Um, and that's able to help him to figure out things a little bit easier. Um, and it's increased his intelligence to, quote, dangerous levels. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but then he has begun a trend that has seen many of his kind adopt similar practices, albeit with wildly differing results. For a jar full of action etching vitriol or gourish eater wasps <laughs> hung from the ear can be nothing more than a nasty surprise waiting to happen. I love that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> How about you, Aaron? What do you think? Um, yeah, I, I, I'd be willing to talk to you folks. You find folks about the War Stomper Mega Gargants. And so these um, are the Gargants that I think are most inclined or they're most itching for a fight. Um the Kraken Eaters like sort of live in layers and the Gate Smashers are always looking for like cities to smash up. But the uh, War Stompers um, are like nomadic and the, they're like their main goal is to find a fight and then to get stuck into it, basically. So they're always they're always scanning the horizon, looking for the telltale signs of smoke so that they can roll up and start uh for lack of a better word, stomping on on people, um, and so they're 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 probably maybe the most martial. They love decorating themselves with like the different tro- trophies from the victories that they've they've won. Um, uh, maybe they get torn up a little bit because they're always getting they're always fighting. Um, but they're they're learned their best ways to sort of like defend themselves, and they're pretty. Um, proficient at tactics and they've learned all the different ways that they can protect themselves from like different attacks whether they need to uh fight off cavalry charges or you know um arrow barrages um and i mentioned the fact that um they they can bear a lot of like battle scars because one of their um one of their named sort of characters or, or the groups that you'd be able to mercenary out um are those that follow the or followed one-eyed grunach um and he's this uh gargant that um he used to have two eyes uh, but then he got into a f- he got into a fight where he was sort of trying to ambush these Ossiark Bone Reapers. Ossiark um, Bone Reapers. There you go. Uh, that were trying to like broker a deal with some Krajan overlords, but he was he was sneaking up at their meeting place and he was just and he ambushed them and he started laying waste to everybody. But then he took uh, took a Krajan shot to the eye and now he's one eyed Grunach. Um, but he's always uh, always looking for a fight as well. And um, when we talk about uh, the grand alliance that they meet, that these folks maybe most align with, it turns out it's actually chaos because uh, who else likes to, you know, fight as much as the the followers of chaos? Maybe maybe corn specifically, but um, they're not above um, joining forces with the, those chaos forces uh, out there, and they actually have a, a sort of a grudge a little bit uh, against the stormcast eternals, um, maybe for reasons that aren't super explained, uh, but they do. Uh, find that they're always worthy adversaries, and for uh, a group of guardians that always like to fight, that uh, is one of their their greatest goals, I suppose. Um, despite the fact that, as we mentioned before, the stormcast will disappear into lightning, so you can't really eat them after the fact. Uh, just their just fighting them is is uh, satisfaction enough for uh, for the war stomper mega guardians. 
Yeah, and one one thing to add to that is I thought it was really interesting. It talks about them being intelligent enough to continue the wars. So they'll, they'll mm-hmm. kill messengers <laughs> that are trying to make peace, and they'll fight for other sides to make the war continue. So they always have some fighting to do. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. It definitely leads to chaos, I guess. Yeah, and the war stomper is the head that has the beard. So you might say they're restarting the war of the beard. Mm. Ooh, nice war nice. war never ends exactly um, josh do you, do you have a, a favorite uh brand of mega gargant yeah no i'll talk about the gate breakers and uh these these gargants are, are pretty funny because like like uh, aaron said they want to smash stuff you know they they have some a big grudge against civilization in general and they want to find towns or walls and cities and just bust it apart they want to use their fists their knees their feet and just take it all down and um you know interestingly it says a large number of them kind of ally with uh, with death you know destruction of course but um you know and then they they tend to get the you know eating corpses cuz they're easy to eat or bones and then they start taking on a pale skin and baggy skin and um and the named character for that you can have ally with your death fa- your death force is called Big Drog Fort Kicker and uh <laughs> one of his special abilities is halitosis cuz he's been eating so much dead stuff that his breath is a weapon in itself but uh, the short little uh, kind of like subsection describes how he's always found himself on the winning side and, and makes sure he switches sides to so make sure he's on the winning side. And um, But his long-term goal I thought was really interesting. He continues to work with death factions often because he's hoping that by being a regular fixture in the armies of death, he'll win the trust of Nagash himself. And then clobber him when his back is turned. (laughs) (laughs) Long-term goals, man. Long-term goals. You know what? He does have it coming. He does. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and kind of the cool uh, tie-in here uh, is that Big Drog is from the land of Halost. And Halost is the land of heroes. So there's actually a Stormcast Eternal chamber. Or not chamber. um, uh, Force that's specifically from Halost. And Halos is actually where that White Dwarf um, campaign has been taking yep. place all summer. So if you wanted to play Big Drug, there's actually a ton of narrative for you to play in and around with specifically this guy um, in all the White Dwarfs this year. So that would be yeah. a super fun narrative campaign to do. Yeah, no, great point. Very cool. Very cool. Um, and then there's also the Man Crusher Gargans. Is there anything interesting to say about these dudes? You know, these are kind of the the regular gargants, the giants that we've had before. And so King Broad and his his kin are part of that group. And uh, I thought it was an interesting section because it talks about how they uh, how a regular gargant will be, you know, minding his business until he hears the mega gargant come by, and then he will follow them endlessly until they catch up and bring him like trophies and food in the hopes that the mega gargant will take him under his wing and, and then you'll have goals and aspirations and become so focused and dangerous. I thought, it was like having a big brother. It's like, oh, I found my big brother. I'm good. It's absolutely hilarious. Considering that these were the biggest dudes on the block just before this book came out, it's weird to sort of see them in, in a different role that sort of subservient to an even, even bigger dog, basically. Um, uh, to think that like these, uh, we used to knew, know them as, you know, the top, 
top, top of the pecking order. Um, and to think that, no, there's even uh, something even bigger than they are that they are going to uh, rush off to sort of serve, which is kind of kind of silly to see him sort of brawl low that way. So kind of an interesting lore fact under the King Broad is that he carries a granite pillar that's from an old Behemothian temple. Um, so it alludes to the fact that there is, there was at least at some point some kind of organized worship or organized religion of the the Gargans, which is an interesting thing. Um, but of course, the uh, they were it was toppled long ago by Cyclopean mutants from the crest of Torcrania, the mountain of the head. Right, yep. like I love the play of the joke there by the Cyclopean mutants from the crest of Torcrania. Um, so, um, but I'm also wondering what the Cyclopean mutants are, um, because that could be a reference to um, Forge World does the race of Fomoroids. Fomoroids, exactly. Fomoroids, Fomoroids, yeah. Yep, Fomir. So there's Fomir, and then Fomir. now there's Fomoroids. Right. So I'm wondering if there's going to be a tie-in there of some kind of. Um, some kind of animosity between the Fomoroids or the Femir and the Gargans. Because that'd be a really interesting kind of uh, narrative hook to be moving forward with. Yep, I agree. Sure. Continuing on, uh, this this reminds me of some, some questions that uh, some listeners asked. Maybe we'll jump into those for a second. Um, I'll point out that Chump King Tristan asked, um, how do they handle Gargant-named characters? Um, so really, I think the only way they, they point these characters out is, is a mechanism by which to uh, mercenary in or ally in these different um, types of Mega Gargants and their and their followers into the different Grand Alliance armies. And so I think we each mentioned uh, a, a named character that sort of um, mechanically allows you to do this um, do this allying this mercenary uh step um but that's really for the most part the only named characters that are really called out in the book did you guys have any other named characters that you wanted to mention well there's the spider king but he doesn't (laughs) have any rules no no uh he he needs no rules um (laughs) yeah exactly he just he just wins um but then there's a question from uh, Tectonic Dan. Um, he wanted to know, what do Gargants do with the riches? So hearkening back to sort of our mercenary little bit conversation that we were having just there. Do they even bother spending it or uh, do they just have it because others want it? What do you guys think? I, I can't remember. What, what do they talk about? Because they, they're not always just in it to eat stuff. Like they're, they're also into like loot. What do, what do they do with it? Well, the Kraken Eaters, I think, would actually appreciate the riches and to show off how awesome they are. Um the the war stompers and the gate breakers i don't really know how much they would actually appreciate it yeah i mean the war stompers are into like decorating themselves with like different trophies but it's mm-hmm. it's less riches and more like like battle trophies uh, yeah. battle trophies yeah 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 i agree and, and you know it talks about how you know the, they'll put like magic items in their belt you know and you know try to figure out how they work but they don't really know how they work <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah i think it's just more uh, examples of prowess to show their peers so to speak 
um, sometimes I like in these Battletoad reviews, I like to talk about like who the army's allies and enemies are. And so I think we've done a pretty clear job pointing out, out that like the Gargan's allies could potentially be everyone or anyone. Um, but at the same time, their enemies could also be anyone or anyone, and <laughs> depending on uh, who they're allied with at any given moment or if they're allied with anyone um, at, at any given moment. Um, but then uh, Severe Elon asks another question. He wants to know, how, how do the other factions feel about the rise of the Mega Gargan's? Um, did, did the book talk about sort of that outsider's perspective, outside looking in um, to the army? Did you guys well, get anything from there? I don't know if Order or Death or Chaos really realize it, right? Um, they were talking about how some scientists in Order are like, well, we think they're getting bigger. We have documentation that they're getting bigger, right? But as far as destruction is concerned, destruction is like, oh, yeah. This is like the coolest, best thing ever, right? Um, so until something massive happens, I don't know if they're actually going to have an opinion because there's so much else going on right now, right? Like when you've got, you know, Arcanum Optimar going on and the dead raising everywhere, who's going to notice that those gargants are slightly taller than they were 100 years ago, right? Especially because it is a relatively slow evolution, so I don't know that there's any opinion because I don't know that pe- that other factions have realized that it's going on. Yeah, and if they and if somebody encounters a you know a stomp of them, there may not be anybody left to actually pass along the knowledge that they're organized, more organized than they used to be. <laughs> so. Yep. So you're saying these gargants are are sneaking up on people? Mm-hmm. Classic, classic sneaky giants. Yep. Keep your eyes to the skies. Um, okay. Cool. Great answer. I think uh, we we might have some time for some more listener questions, if you guys don't mind. It might be a listener listener question heavy episode. We had a lot of questions about, am I, I don't know how to say it. Con, Conver- Conver- convergions? Am I saying that right? I don't know. Conversiones. Conversiones. Um, yeah. Uh, Tomb King Tristan asked, if you're going to do a stupid conversion, how stupid will it be? Tectonic Dan wanted conversion ideas for these Gargans. Uh, Legatus Grey Heresy wants thoughts on conversions for different armies. Uh, and Darth Alec uh, wanted to know, uh, how would an elf-themed Mega Gargan be converted? Or, or like Duarden. Um, I'm going to wrap those all up into one larger question. Hey, tell me about some of your guys' cool conversion ideas. So, um, if you're going to do a stupid conversion, I actually have a stupid conversion in mind. I don't know if I can make it happen, but if I can, I will get two Mega Gargans out of one box. That's how stupid it's going to be. I'll let you uh, figure out how that's going to happen. Well, I think um, I'll point out that this, I think it was last week or maybe earlier this week, uh, Games Workshop, did, you know, Warhammer Community did show three different versions of the of the Mega Gargant kit bashing by other people, which had a lot of really neat ideas. One for Slanesh, one for Corn, and one for... Uh, Oh, no, Nurgle and yeah, right. Corn. I think no chaos. Yep, and, and they they looked awesome. I think you can't really go wrong. Uh, I think one of the nice things about the kit is if you're allying it with your faction, you can just give it trophies to make it look like it's working with your faction or in a particular area or parts of the realms. And uh, depending on what kits you have available to you, you could you know especially chaos, you can go wild. There's all sorts of mutations that you could add and, and make it crazy. Um, I know that the Tomb King Christians probably going to be working on a a Tomb Kings themed, you know, giant. So that's going to be really cool to see. Uh, well, surprise. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. 
but uh, yeah, so I think uh, I don't know what I would pick in terms of what type of uh, theme or anything. I haven't thought about it a whole lot yet, but it would definitely be fun. I would do a sweet uh, Mega Gargant that has a spider theme to it, and it would have like spider legs on the back and like a, a mask from a spider on the front and like a crown. And yeah, I'd totally do that. You would call it the Spider King. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know if your Spider King will be done by the time this episode goes out, but would you, I, I, if you don't mind, I'll just, I'll just throw a link or pictures in the show notes for those folks who want to uh, take, take, take a look. Um, it's, it uh, it's, it's horrifying to see. But go ahead, Josh. I was going to say, uh, I was just thinking for an elf-themed Mega Gargant, what you could maybe do is like mimic the avatars of the mountain you know you could maybe the make a gargant trying to make it look dissimilar and maybe he's put some mountains and trees and you know mishmash fashion on his shoulders and <laughs> carries a hammer or something like that yeah actually, that make be... it more of a mocking sort of thing <laughs> yeah uh yeah like, like like he's he's doing his best to cover himself in dirt but like it's yeah. just sort of, sort of sloughing off or he's got right. like He's got like a, a the equivalent of like a Viking helmet with the the horns on it, but it's like a, it's a skew because he can't keep it straight on his head. Exactly, exactly. A super cheap conversion idea for you: get a mega gargan, get techless, and then get the spirit of the mountain and use the mask from the Luna Sphinx on the mega gargan's face, and then use the mountain from the spirit of the mountain on his shoulders, and that would look like a super sweet elf themed uh, mega gargan. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Josh, if so, you've got I think a couple armies. If you were to pick one of your armies, you'd want to put a you'd want to put a gargan in. Which one would it would it go in? Um, yeah, I've got the KO. So I'm trying to think of how maybe maybe I would do something, you know, related to the balloons from the Ironclad. Right, we'll put some balloons on its feet so it's flying through the air. You know, <laughs> maybe a, a glider. <laughs> <laughs> Make a more maybe one of two engines riding a, a KO motorcycle. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, he's got propellers on his 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 balloon shoes, so he can. <laughs> or maybe he's just holding one of those ships like on his shoulder, and he's just spinning, like he's just carrying it around using the guns yep. as like a shoulder-mounted cannon. I think the super cool thing about this kit is, it is its size, right? Um, its size really makes it a brand new opportunity for a centerpiece conversion, because uh, you know, like. Archaeon, you know, the body of Dorgar is smaller than the Mega Gargan, but the wings are larger. And it's such an iconic pose, right? You can't really make Archaeon into a completely different thing and still call it Archaeon on the tabletop, right? I mean, you can, but people will be like, well, what, what exactly is that supposed to be? But you're kind of trying to mimic the pose a little bit or, or the wings or something like that, right? Whereas with the Mega Gargants, like the silhouette of the body is enough that you can do anything that you want to, like literally terrain pieces. Um, they've been using Chaos Knight heads, you know, living living spells. Like there is everything, and because it is so large, those bits that you could only ever use for terrain before, or they're just sitting in your bits box, taking up so much space. There is so many possibilities that you can do with this kit because it just is the perfect size. And as opposed to when you have 120 figures, right? If you spend four or five hours converting this kit, it'll pay off because everybody will see it. I mean, 
uh, you can make an army out of what uh, six models, uh, or you can make an army out of like you know, an, I think ten is the most you can do. So this is the army to just spend every minute of your time thinking how much fun it would be. I uh, I thought it would be super fun to do an entire army where it's literally in the midst of fighting a battle. And so the Gargants and the Mega Gargants would be grabbing different Caradron ships. And the entire thing would just be all the Caradron ships being grabbed out of the sky or pulling a Mega Gargant up or whatever. There's so many ideas that you can make happen with this. Or literally have an entire battle going on on the bases themselves. There is so many different cool things that you can do with them. Um, I, I just think it's endless. And the conversions that we've seen this week on Twitter with the release happening on Saturday are just a testament to there is so many things you can do. It's just mind-boggling. Um, with with that being said, actually, my suggestion uh, for conversions would be uh, don't. <laughs> uh, just, just make them like, like the box. Who do you think you are? Anyways, next question. Uh, <laughs> Related related to the kit, Darth Alec had another question. He wanted to know what uh, is your favorite bit on the sprue. Um, I think Paul might be the only one who has the most hands-on experience with it. Paul, did you have a? Uh, and I mean, I'll ask you too, Josh. But Paul, did you have a favorite bit in your time in time spent with the uh, the Mega Gargant? That Moglodon uh, tooth that goes across the chest of the Kraken Eater is just such a beautiful kit, a beautiful bit. Um, most of the other bits either have cloth on them or you need to put multiple bits together to make it into something cool. So that that specific bit in particular was one of my favorite. Um, it, it, I'm going to throw it on one of my um, carib carib discs to make it look different. So I think that's super cool. Right on. Um, in looking at the pictures, Josh, did, you, did any bits jump out at you? Yeah, I think one of my, uh, my favorite pieces were, you know, is that part of the ship that goes on the Kraken Eater, you know, because I wondered about it for a while, you know, what it was from. And then when the kit finally came out, you saw it. Oh, it's just this little piece of a boat sitting on this very large model. I thought it was a kind of highlights the size. And I thought it was a great way to do that. It has some really cool, you know, uh, symbolism as well. So, yeah, right on. The head on that bit, uh, the, that ship. the, the mast head is actually this like almost um, Cthulhu type little shape which is something we've never seen before. But it's it just li- almost like little squat fat demon. It doesn't have the octopus mouth. But apart from that, it looks pretty interesting. Um, I don't awesome. think we've seen anything with that same design choice. So I'm wondering if that might be a hint of something to come forward. Because that's the cool thing to me is almost every bit you can be like, this is from an Osiarch Bone Reaper. This is from Warcry. Because every trophy is actually from an actual army in AOS already. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Didn't realize that. But that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Um, my favorite, but actually, my favorite bit's probably the one of the clubs is actually a bunch of cannons lashed together. But the bit I will bring, I will bring up, is actually one that is highlighted in the painting guide, and it's the drowned body. Uh-huh. And the first instruction for this to paint this drowned body is base coat with wraithbone. Then try to forget you're painting a tiny dead body for recreational purposes. <laughs> and so because of that, that's my favorite bit. Um, very cool. Very funny. Battle tome. Um, 
I'm just going to keep going on this Darth Alec train. He has a question. Um, now we're getting a little bit more serious, guys. We're the hard-hitting journalistic questions. He wants to know, are the rules flavorful enough? I think so, but I I don't necessarily deep delve into the rules, but they seem interesting to me. They seem different enough, and I think I would enjoy playing with all of the Mega Gargants. When it comes to the Man Crushers, eh, they get flavor by taking one of those three Mega Gargans as your general. And I think that's cool. Um, but as far as the, the Man Crushers, I guess I could potentially see some more flavor going on there if they added King Broad as a character or something like that. But hmm. apart from that, I think it, it was a lot of fun. All right, cool. Josh, from what you gathered, did they seem flavorful enough to you? Uh, I think so. Uh, you know, like uh, I think there's a lot of really uh, fun named, interesting abilities that the that they have, especially the Mega Gargants. And with the three different tribe options you have, you know, depending on which Mega Gargant is leading it, those um, battle traits that they get, I think, are all very uniquely, you know, um, tailored to those particular tribes. And I think it adds a lot of flavor. So it'll be interesting to see how they do on the tabletop. And of course, Mega Gargants are huge and beefy with lots of wounds, and the, and the Man Crushers are smaller but new, more numerous. So it'll, it, I think it'll all work out really well. All right, cool, cool, cool. Um, related to that question, uh, Tristan uh, had asked, um, what item is the most evocative for you story-wise? Um, I don't know if you guys have a, a built-in answer, so I'll, I'll start um, because it ties into a, yet another question. Guys, there's just so many questions this episode. Um, but uh, Legatus Grey Heresy asked, magical gargants, are they a thing? And they are when you take into account this particular item, which is a glowy lantern. Um, a Mega Gargant can take this. I think maybe it's the Kraken Eaters that can do it. Um, but it was a, a lantern that uh, your Gargant got from like a, a deal from Lumineth uh, Realm Lords that went that went sour. But they were able to hold on to this glowy lantern, and it you know they got it on their belt or someplace, and it's actually slowly making them smarter and smarter such that they're able to actually cast a spell or dispel a spell like in the game. So uh, they're not inherently magical, but if your Gargan has this glowy lantern that they stole from some, from some Lumineth, they uh, they certainly can be. That's why kids, you watch out where you leave your Aether Quartz. Yeah, yeah. Uh, keep, it sa- keep it secret, keep it safe. Um, <laughs> did you get a chance to look at any of the items and did any of them uh, seem evocative to you story-wise? I, lore-wise, I think it's that ship, actually. I think we're going to see something that matches that at some point. Uh, because everything else is so directly tied to an army. I think that's actually my my lore tidbit, is that we're going to see something. that Some army, or that's going to be a part of some other part of the narrative, I think, going forward. Um, it just looks super awesome. All right. Cool, cool. Tomb King Tristan had a lot of good questions, and I'm going to keep asking him if he's going to keep providing them. Um, he wants to know, are they, presumably talking about the Sons of Bayamont, uh, are they made out to be more of a force of nature? Um, sort of related to that question is a question from Klaus M.A. Uh, he also asked, although they naturally belong in the Grand Alliance of Destruction, do you feel they remain sort of merchant-like? Um, and I think we're sort of looking at sort of the mercenary uh, aspect. So it's kind of a dueling question a little bit. Tristan wants to know, are they more of a force of nature? Or Klaus wants to know, are they more uh, like mercenary-like? Where do you think 
Uh, where do you guys think the army falls on sort of that spectrum? Both. <laughs> I think it really Josh. No, depends on the mega gargant that you take. I think really flavors it, especially if you go with a mercenary gargant, or if you go with the one that's more smarter, or the ones that are more focused on destruction. Or you know, I saw. I definitely think it depends. A little bit of both. Okay, Paul, what do you think? I think they are too intelligent to be classified as a force of nature. Um, if that makes sense. I don't think that the Ale Guzzler Gargans would be considered too intelligent, but I think the Sons of Bayamot are written to be too intelligent. Um, by that, I mean they are intentional in their decisions. It doesn't just happen, right? Um, as far as being merchant, I would agree with Josh that it depends on what you're taking. I could see the Kraken Eaters being pretty merchant, um, but as far as the War Stompers and the Gatebreakers, I don't know if I would buy that. Uh, just because it doesn't seem to to jive as well with their lore. Um, I think they probably started off as like a force of nature, like when they were sort of left to their own devices um, and they ended up being sort of... Uh, so I think when they first announced the Sons of Bayamont, they were one of the trailers or something that GW did is they put out a video where they're like, you're telling like fairy tales to like scare kids to behave. And if you don't do this, like this giant's going to come and get you. And so from that perspective, they are kind of that, that boogeyman force of nature. But I think we've seen that as time gone, has gone on and they've had to um, react with uh, the, the current events of, of what's going on in the moral realms. They're going to probably gonna become less and less, uh, this force of nature and maybe more of that, um, uh, a, a force that has more agency, Paul. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think that's maybe the direction they're going to go. Klaus followed up with, can they get away from the, uh, this sort of, he, he says merchant. I wonder if he means mercenary though, if it was like an autocorrect or should they get away from that? I don't think they should. I think I would like to see them have more of a, uh, purpose, um, more of a give like a, a, a agency driven direction um, in that you can always hand wave like forces of nature. I feel like we read a lot of like black library books where like it's just uh, insert bad guy here and that and the gargants can be that, but they don't have to be. And I think they would end up being more interesting if there was some sort of direction guiding, you know, their, their action, whether it comes from internal, I guess, maybe, or if it's something that they're a, a, a tool being used by by others, um, where I'd like to see them go. Cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, speaking of stories, we can maybe talk about some Black Library examples uh, for our new army. It's a little tricky because every time we do one of these new army battle tomes, um, there's not often a lot of Black Library stories. Uh, but I know of one, and I think maybe Paul consumed it. Um, do you have any thoughts on any Black Library examples for the sons, Paul? Yeah. Uh, so there is the audio drama that they just released. Um, and I actually enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. Um, it was in the spirit of the Battle Tome. Again, it was just super fun. Um, and it it wasn't so much a... It was a short story but it was a short story kind of made of short stories, if that made sense. Um, mm. It was an introduction to how people of the mortal realms see mega gargants a bit. Yeah. So it was that's a, kind of a question earlier. Yeah. So it was a bit of like three or four stories combined into one overarching narrative. 
very well and i and i enjoyed it a lot um but i i enjoyed it because it wasn't just like oh i'm gonna go smash things oh look at this stupid giant it was nope we're actually dealing with intelligent beings that have intentional choices um and how the first encounter could define how you see them moving forward so it was fun um there is a, definitely a lot of fun to be had by the voice actors as they were acting it out. Hmm. That was that was enjoyable as well. Very cool. So that's the uh, Sons of Bayamut by uh, Graham Lyon. Um, but this leads me to uh, one of our final questions, if not the final question, uh, is from Tristan again. He wants to know, um, how can they be the lead character in a story? Um, if I understand correctly, they, they, they weren't the leads in the audio dramas, right? Is that right, Paul? I haven't listened yet. They are not, no. Yeah, so they're more antagonistic, but um, like, what would what would be necessary for them to be sort of lead characters? What what would that story look like? I think you could take any any one of the special characters, the mercenaries, and you could definitely make a story around what they're doing and you know and what their perspective is. You know, working with a particular army so that you have that element you can identify with, but you're getting it from the from the gargants or make a gargants perspective as well. That's a great answer, actually. And now that's the only answer I want to see. I only want to read a story from a Gargan perspective if it's one of those uh, named characters. Uh, Paul's, Paul, any thoughts? Um, I could see it being um, a focal point and having it move from the Gargan's perspective. Um, I don't know. Uh, like Josh said, with the special characters, I think it definitely would make sense of the named characters. I'd have a hard time figuring out how you would put a motivation into a, gar- a mega gargant that would make for a, a relatively cohesive story where you have other characters trailing along, etc. because they do seem to be super loners, right? I guess if you had, for example, you know, a stomp of mega gargants and gave them all their individual personality and stuff like that, I could see them all interacting and doing a story, but as far as interacting with the rest of the races of the realms, which is actually a very salient thing in all of the Black Library dramas, they would just kind of kill everything or be killed. And I don't know, because of the way that the book is written, where they are these gods of war, I don't know how you would have actual interesting, engaging interactions with other races that didn't just end with them all getting killed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So that would be a hard thing for me to picture how to do that well. Yeah, no, I agree. I think y- your best bet would be a, a short story to explore, like maybe a, a cool idea, but I don't know that they, a, a Gargan could carry a whole, you know, a, a whole novel. Um, st- a story pitch idea that I just came up with, uh, a short a short story where it's a stomp of Gargants, like taken out of town, but like you get multiple perspectives from the different hierarchy like are the different gargants at the different tiers just to see how they perceive what they're doing like what it takes to take a town down uh, ranging from like whoever's the big heel all the way down to the little toesies at the bottom um and you you get real creative with the the characters of each of those gargants um just a real uh real quick shot or, or or peek into you know how they uh think or perceive what they're what they're doing, but then make it a real quick uh, story. That's my story pitch for um, a Gargant tale. I dig it. Um, I do want to answer one more question, if that's okay, Aaron. Please, please do. So Severe Elon asked, what race do you think is a Gargant's favorite delicacy? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would say whichever one drinks the most liquor and is therefore flavored or pickled with mm-hmm. the most flavor of that alcohol. So I would go with Dwarden in general. Sure. <laughs> um, specifically, you know, a very rich, crunchy uh, Caradron Overlord Admiral or something like that who drove, who drank only the best liquor uh, or beer. I think that would be probably their their delicacy and you could even peel it you know like you get experience. <laughs> nice um there is a quirk uh that you can pick up for one of your gargans that uh you be have become or that it becomes a, a man eater eater and that the gargant has developed a taste for ogre flesh but specifically man eater flesh um mm-hmm. but all right let's 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 bring her home to a close um, or bring her home to the home stretch, man, I'm having a hard time with my metaphors. Uh, let's do, let's do our, our final thoughts and I'll say review quote unquote review um, of, of this here battle tone. What did we think holistically? Uh, Paul, start us off. Uh, holistically. I would say that I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a fun read. Uh, I think the, the rules are engaging, if not necessarily uh, the most competitive or the most uncompetitive. So for that alone, I just absolutely loved it. Um, and I think the rules reflect the background really, really well. I am really impressed overall with how much character they managed to inject into a battle tome with two kits. I did not see enjoying the variety and enjoying the description nearly as much as I definitely did. Yeah. Yeah. I echo everything Paul said. It was a, it was a very pleasant surprise to, you know, just the, the depth of the history and the storytelling of the Gargants and, you know, where they, where they came from, what they're doing. Um, I thought it was done very well. And I, and I do think the rules kind of reflect the organization and mindset of the Gargants and it, it'll be interesting to see them on the tabletop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, I'm surprised that I'm going to echo the sentiment that you guys said and that I was also surprised at how much I liked the book. Um, it's it's definitely different than the other battle tomes, which makes sense because it's kind of it's a different army than the other uh, armies that have been released. And so um, it was concise, but then also in its sort of brevity, it was packed a lot of um, color and uh, humor. And um, I really love the whole like creation myth thing that you don't really get a lot of um from other places which i think is really what the age of myth is for so the fact that we really could make use of that age and 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 sort of put it through its mythological paces was um a delight and um you know i i i it definitely seemed i don't know kind of as a supplement uh to um the the lore or and like you know the the accumulation of all the different armies out there but i think the mercenary aspect of these gargants i mean serves that serves that purpose like it it, it did what it set out to do and because of that i think it was a, a, a it was a success and this is of course from somebody who literally didn't even read the rules section so i have i have no interest or opinion on uh how they translate on that mm-hmm. on that front so um pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. um so that's my final thought there um all right so if we have no final thought or no additional thoughts, 
time for our reforging, but Sigmar Willing will be back soon. Like, subscribe, share, or leave a review. Join us on Discord, drop a tip on our Patreon. Anything you can do will spread the word of Sigmar farther than we can on our own. Chat with us anytime about your thoughts on Twitter, at The Mortal Realms. And Paul, where can they find you online? At PJ Shard. Uh, Josh, how about you? At J.E. Arrington. Uh, and I'm Aaron. You can find me at Dosesos on Twitter. And uh, you can find all our Mortal Realms shows and content at www.themortalrealms.com. <laughs> nice. It's in case in case we lose the rights to the music, you got to have something. Oh, right, right. Uh,